Welcome to church, everybody. So glad you're here with us. Uh, Sunday night, we're, we've been doing this series uh, called uh, Love Handles, and it's, it's been great. Um, Jesus is love, and Jesus handles difficult things, and uh, we are going to enter to a new series because it's the beginning of the year. It's a perfect time as we start this new decade, start a brand new year, still in January, to uh, kind of go right at things that Jesus would go right at, like Finances. It really is where we're just kind of putting a pause on love handles, but not really because this is one of the topics that Jesus talks about. Matter of fact, Jesus talked about money more than any other topic that he talked about. Some of you right now are thinking, man, if I would have known that we were talking about money at church, I would have totally skipped. Um, don't, don't, don't do that. Uh, this is actually for you. Uh, newsflash, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't, because um, he owns everything. Um, God doesn't need your money, but God has something to say to all of us about how to manage money. Uh, Jen and I, we've, I've mentioned before that uh, back in the day, one of the things that we did for a long time is that we traveled around playing the rock and roll music for kids, and uh, we had buses, and we had uh, big semis with lots of heavy stuff, and we lifted it. I lifted stuff I shouldn't have lifted. I don't know. We should have gotten a crane or something and really hurt my back. Anyone, if you have back problems, you know what I'm talking about. Every now and then you've got to go see like a deep tissue person, not like a gentle massage, but like someone that hurts you, okay? That's how you know it's working is when it's painful. And the one thing that you never tell someone that's going to do some deep tissue work on you, you never tell them, um, I've got a sore spot somewhere right? As soon as you tell them that you have a sore spot, they're going to concentrate on that spot. So don't be surprised when they start to like go after that spot. Jesus does this. Jesus goes right, right, when, right when he sees people, he goes after the spots that are, that are sore spots because he knows that he can work that out, that we are going to grow faster and deeper. And this is why most of the time Jesus talked, he talked about spots in our lives that are sore when it comes to our finances, uh, which is why we show that really funny video, uh, Amy Poehler and Steve Martin, they can't get their attitude right, their idea right about money. And we laugh at it because it's like they're just they're not getting it at all but truth is uh, a lot of us have been there and um, God's got something to say to us so uh, as we start this series we've got some incredible tools um, there's a guy named Barry Cameron who has been here to preach before Barry's a preacher in Texas he's going to be a little bit a part of this series as we end it um, but Barry and his family uh, wrote their experience down uh, with finances, and they put it in a book. It's called The ABCs of Financial Freedom. And uh, what we want to do is we want to give everyone here this book so that you can uh, read it. Now, um, everyone in your house that is managing money, we want them to have a copy. So don't be polite and say, well, I'm going to take one and we're going to share it, my wife and I. And no, you won't. You'll take it to work and she'll never see it. That's what'll happen, okay? So Get enough books for everyone in your family that manages money. If you've got high school kids and they've got a job, get a book, okay? Because they need to learn how to manage money. All that we're asking is that if you take one, you read it. But we've been doing this for two weeks. We ran out of books last week. We got more books. We ran out of books today, so we've made copies of chapter one because you only need to read chapter one. And we'll get more books for you guys um, this week. You can stop by the office probably and pick them up. We'll let you know right away. So you can grab a copy of chapter one because we want you to have this resource. We really believe in it. But then also, um, Barry has put together a workbook that goes right along with it. Um, this incredible resource that it's got blanks you fill in. You can do this as a small group. You can do it with your family. You can do it by yourself. Um, 
we really want everyone to have this, but we all need skin in the game. So we're asking for $3 for the workbook. This book to read free, the workbook, we want everyone to be like, hey, you're three bucks in, you're deep. You got to go, okay, at that point. You got to do it because you paid three bucks for it. So $3 to get this. We want you to get those tools so you can be on this journey. We're doing all of this so that we can really help you help all of us get our financial houses in order as we start this year because most people do not believe that they have a problem when it comes to finances. Most people don't think they have an issue with finances. Now, I have to tell you that um, there are a lot of things in life that shouldn't happen, but they still do happen. Check this out. Here's a picture of a truck that did not read the sign saying, don't do this, don't go here, and... Um, if you don't read signs in life, things happen. There, there are things that are going to happen in your life that you say should not happen. You've got to be prepared for it. Let me prove it to you. You've not seen it yet, but the halftime show at the Super Bowl should not happen, but it's going to, okay? I've, I've seen the trailer for it. It should not happen. Uh, here's another thing that should not happen. Uh, the Chiefs should not be in the Super Bowl, okay? But it's going to happen. It's, it's already happened. So there are things in your life that should not happen, but they're going to happen. You've got to have a plan for it. Uh, I want to turn, uh, in God's word, to... First Chronicles chapter 29 to this big moment in the, the nation of Israel and their history. Let me give you the setup. First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 9 through 20, it's a prayer, but you got to know what's going on in this prayer. Here's the setup. King David has reigned for 40 years over the nation of Israel. Seven years in the city of Hebron and uh, 33 years he reigned in, in Jerusalem. And he is dying. This is, this is the last moment that he has before the whole nation. And in this moment, in this prayer, we see that he turns the nation's hearts towards God in some very specific ways, dealing with their attitude about what belongs to God. Can you imagine that they're on the hill, they're on the holy hill. David has purchased the top of this hill, Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And David wants to build the temple of the Lord. The Lord says, you can't. Too much blood on your sword. You've lived a war life. I don't want a guy who's gone to war for me his whole life for those hands to build the temple. Your son Solomon, he can build the temple. He's never tasted war. He's a man of peace. You can't build it, but David bought, bought the land. And so he calls the nation of Israel, all of these people, they cancel work, cancel everything, and they all come together at 40 years as king. And this is his final farewell address to the nation. And he has some things to say about our attitude towards finances. Verse 11, he says this, everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Verse 12, he says, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. Says something else that's a little bit different. Listen real close and look at this in verse 12. He says, in your hand, it is to make great and give strength to all. I've got to tell you that this is kind of direct opposition from many of the things that we hear, the things that we are consuming. If you just step back and look at this for a moment, everything in heaven on earth is yours, God, David says in front of all of the nation. He says, riches and honor come from you. You make great and you make strength. It all comes from you. Reading this this week, I'm reminded of a, an old John Wayne Western, The Duke. 
He, John Wayne plays this part perfectly. He's an old farmer and he, he's a little bit crusty. There's, there's bitterness and his hands are callous from years on the farm. And he walks into the dinner table and uh, all of his family is set around the table and he comes to the head of that table and he sits down and their eyes are big like, you know we're supposed to say grace. And he gets just flustered in this moment. And John Wayne looks at them and he says, let me get this straight. We planted seeds in the ground. We did it. And we watered it. When it didn't rain, we carried water out to the field. We picked the bugs off. We weeded it. We harvested it. We cleaned it. We put it in the barn. We got it out of the barn. We cooked it. We put it on the table that we made. And you want me to thank God for this. This is the attitude. This is the, the attitude many times of our culture when it comes to what is ours and what we have worked for and the, the hard nights that we stayed up and all the extra work that we did and uh, the, the idea that came to us and our hands have got calloused and we've built things and we've made things. But if we truly have a moment of honesty and just take a step back and look at our lives, every breath that we've received, God has allowed to happen. every situation that we've been in that we've been able to capitalize upon and grow something or build something, God has allowed that to be orchestrated and put us there. He's in control of all of our days. What striking news we all heard about today at 2.50 when we hear that Kobe Bryant was killed in a, in a helicopter crash. We are not guaranteed another day. And every single opportunity that we have it is only because God has given it. James chapter four says, every good gift comes from the father of heavenly lights. He goes on to say this, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give anything to you? I, I can only imagine David being old. I mean, David did some terrible things as king. There were some massive mistakes that David made. David did some awesome things. I mean, God says this of David. God says to David, you're a man after my own heart. What a compliment from God that God would say, you are like me. And he says here that all things come from you, verse 14, and all we gave you was already yours. I imagine in this moment that he's standing in front of the nation knowing it's his last time to pray over them and he wants to help their attitude towards finances be right, that he's thinking back to being the 16-year-old boy that nobody kind of cares about. 16 years old, maybe 12, out watching sheep. No one comes to get him. There's a war going on. He's not big enough to go there. No one thinks he can kill a bear. No one thinks he can kill Goliath. His own father doesn't believe in him enough to think he'll be the ruler of the nation one day. Israel and King David would go on to become one of the most notable kings for all time, only to be surpassed by Christ Jesus, who is the king of all kings. People in every nation around the world know of Israel and the great King David. And he stands there and he says, who am I and who are we as a people that we could give anything to you, God? See, if we're ever going to be able to achieve financial freedom, it all begins with this one thing. And David told Israel, it begins with our attitude. We, uh, we had this opportunity uh, for years to, to work with this traveling drama group named One Time Blind. They did sketches for kids. And Kathleen was one of uh, the members of One Time Blind, and she would do a sketch for kids, and she would bring out one of these. You guys all know what these are. These are the things that you buy, and you intend to clean your garage, and then they just sit in a stack in the corner. That's what this is, okay? 
Kathleen would bring uh, one of these boxes out and uh, she would say, this box, super important to me. Um, this, I, I will never be without this box. I take it with me everywhere I go. And if I don't have it with me, I get a little bit panicked, to tell you the truth. And it's, 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 kind of, it's not a necessary, but I've just got to have it with me. Well, can, well what's, in the, what's, in the, what's in the box? She's like, you might, you're going to probably think it's goofy, but in this box, I actually, actually keep God. I keep God in this box. I'm like, mm, Kathleen, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. You, you, you can't do this. Like, no, I do, I do, I do. Because you never know what situation you're gonna come into. And if you've got God with you, like any, like it's, it's a really good thing to have God with you. And things would happen, you know, in Kathleen's life. And we would see her interact with people and a situation would happen. And maybe it's a situation with a guy or an argument or a fight or someone gets sick and you know, problems happen in life. And Kathleen would be like, I'm so glad I got my box. I've, I brought God, guys. And she would take the lid off. And she would get God out and God would, I mean, God does what he does. I mean, God heals and God, he comforts and he comes in. He kind of, he swoops in when we call upon him and he's God, he he's gives good gifts. He's a good father and he does all, he takes care of things, right? And she's like, this is so good. I'm so glad that you're always with me. Okay, thanks for that. Now, awkward, but I'm gonna need you to get back in the box. And she was like, no, no, seriously. Like just, just get back. She would, she'd be like, thank you. I, well, I'm sure I'll need you. And she'll put God back in the box. And, and it's crazy, but, but we do this with our lives, right? Many of us, we, we have things that we really need from God. Some of us, you know, we're like, I, I, I need a spouse. I need a man. God, get out. Like, get, I need a man with a job, okay? With a job. I need that. Good looking, down here. Job, that's on. That's high on the list, Okay. Someone's like, you know, I need, there's someone I love and they need healed and we'll ask them, we'll ask them for things like the greatest thing we could trust them with, our entire future for eternity. Jesus, would you, God, would you, would you help me have salvation so when I die, I know where I'm going and we'll trust him with this, the most precious thing, where we will spend all of eternity. We'll trust God with that. But when it comes to our attitude, with some things in our life, we say, you know what? I trust you with all these other things, but I'm going to put you away and I'm not going to let you have jurisdiction or reign in my life when it comes to something like my finances. And David just cautions the nation of Israel. He's like, you can't, you can't do that. You, you, you can't put him in a place like that because he's a freak, all-consuming fire God that wants to reign in every area of your life. There's... There's just some attitude changes. I want to just read them to you quickly. This is uh, what I think God has for us from David's prayer in Chronicles. Uh, attitude changes that we all need to make. If we're ever going to have financial freedom, it begins with our attitude. And if we want to achieve financial freedom, we've got to change our attitude from, I don't need a plan, to, if I don't follow God's plan, I do not have a prayer. Okay? We got to change your attitude from, I don't need any plan. I'm good like I am, to, if I don't have God's plan, I have no chance, no prayer of making it. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, without a vision, the people perish. Vision is a plan, a roadmap. Without that, we perish. That's strong language. We die. We will die, fail without a good plan. Proverbs gives this stark warning. Proverbs 16.3 says this, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Start, commit 
began with God being a part of it, saying, God, I want, you to, I want you to come out of this place where I've sequestered you to, and I want to start my financial plans with you, and then I know then they'll work. They'll be established. They'll happen then. If we want to achieve financial freedom, number two, we've got to change our attitude from what I do with my money is my business to what I do with God's money is God's business. We have this attitude of, I can, I'm going to do what I want with, with my money, which, which I have. And David says, everything is the Lord's. All things are his. And we've got to change our attitude. What I do with God's money is God's business. This is, what, this is the last thing he had to say to his beloved nation. It was the most critical thing he could say at the very end of his life. These attitude changes. Number three, if you want to achieve financial freedom, we have got to change our attitude from there's nothing I can do to there's nothing God can't do. There's nothing God can't do. I've got this recorder sometimes that happens in my life because of I grew up like this or because of my parents' divorce or because uh, I had to walk through this in college and that put us in this place or I made this one bad decision and it really is a domino effect and now I can't. None of that matters in the economy of God. Whatever our stories, whatever your story is, none of it matters in God's economy. I don't know if you have a life verse, if you've got a favorite verse, if someone's like, what's your favorite verse? You know, you've got to have a couple. If you're like, I don't, I don't have one, I, I, want, to give, I want to give you one. You, you, no one can leave here without a favorite verse. If you don't have one, here's one that will rock. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21, great verse. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is an incredible verse. To him who is able, he is able to do things. Here's what he's able to do. Far more abundantly than all we ask or think. You, you want to like start tagging all your emails at work with that verse, right? Like sincerely, like Ephesians, like, like that'll, that'll stir some things up in the office. This is, this is a great verse, but it's incredible because he is able to do far more than we can even ask or think. Now, some of you, you're really smart and you've seen the bumper sticker or you've had someone tell you, you can't put God in a box. You can't put God in a box. It's true. I mean, you, we can't, God is all powerful. We can't put him in the box. But Paul writes that we can quench the Holy Spirit. Quenching the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit says, I want you to grow in this area. I want you to change. I want you. And we tell the Spirit, no, 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 no. And the Spirit stops speaking because we don't listen. We can't technically put God in a box, but in our lives, we can tell God, you're off limits in this one area of my life. And if we try to put him off limits in one area, his effectiveness decreases in every area. It's a big deal. It's a real big deal. This is an incredible verse. Here's number four. If we want to achieve financial freedom, we've got to change our attitude from giving to get something to giving for no other reason than I love God. This is a big change in attitude. Giving to, I'm gonna to give to God because I've heard that if I give to God, he'll give back to me more. And that sounds like a great deal. Like what, a savings plan, right? Give to God and you get more back, sign me up. That's, that's a different attitude than giving to God because you simply love him. Acts 20, 35 remembers the words of Jesus. 
Jesus himself says it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's actually levels of giving. You, you know this one. The very first level of giving, you've played this out before. Hesitant giving. I like to explain this like, you know, at Christmas time when someone always gives you a gift and you're like, I've got to get them something because they got me something. And the drama of telling them not to bother about it would be more of the drama than just getting them a gift card. And nothing says figure it out on yourself, right? Like a gift card, right? Pretty much what a gift card says. You decide, right? That, that's hesitant giving. Or it's, you know, you're just doing it because like, well, they always did. I've got to do it. Like, okay. Uh, the, the next giving, and I, I, there's a part of this that's a great step. The next level of giving is obedience, we say this a lot uh, around here when we're worshiping. We're obedient and coming together. Paul says, do not forsake the assembly. We're obedient and coming together. We're obedient in remembering the Lord's Supper as often as we come together and making the focus Jesus. We're obedient. We say this in giving and giving. That we obey as one of the things God tells us to do is give and we're obedient in doing that. But uh, you ever have a relationship with someone that if they, everything they do is just out of obedience, I don't want that relationship. Like for, for my kids whom I love, I, Jennifer and I, we pray that they're obedient, but honestly, I want so much more than that as a father. I mean, if I walked in their rooms, and this doesn't happen all the time, but if I did, and their room was like spotless clean, right? And I would be like, what in the world is going on? Who are you? And where's my real kid? I'll never stop looking, right? Um, and they just, imagine they would just look at me and be like, well, we're just being obedient. And I, I would appreciate the obedience, but I desire so much more than obedience. I want relationship, right? I want interaction. I want deep community with our children. And our God is no different. Obedience is a great step, and he asks us to be obedient. We get salvation for free. Salvation in Jesus Christ is a free gift. It costs him everything. It costs us nothing. That is a free gift. But obedience is what starts to happen because we love him, and it goes into a deeper relationship. See, there are some other steps, other levels of giving past obedience that go into significant relationship, giving abundantly. Or here's, this is something that's just crazy. You're like, I knew, man, I knew when a church was gonna start talking, they start talking about money like this, giving extravagantly. What level of, and I think this is the question, this is the question that David stood in front of Israel and asked. He said, what level of giving do you want to be at? What level of giving are you at? This is what he asked Israel. Are you hesitant? And look at how God has provided and blessed us as a nation. Look at all the goodness he's given in our lives. Are, are you just obedient? It's a good step. It's not, it's not the best and final step. David says, are, are you gonna be abundant? Are you gonna just be extravagant? And then he really postures the question in his prayer. What level do you think our good father wants? If, if God could say, I wanna put you at a level of giving, what level would God choose to put you at that would bless your children? All the generations that follow you that would bless the community of friends that you have and that would further the gospel and really bring you joy. What level would God pick for you? If he's like, God, you pick the level of giving I wanna be at for the rest of my life. You pick it. Where would God place you? Here's the last one. If you want to achieve financial freedom, you've gotta change your attitude from honoring God with my wealth is where I want to end up. We gotta change it from that to this. Honoring God with my wealth is where I want to begin. And if I just be really honest with you about Jen and I, every time that we've said, hey, we're gonna, 
we're going to honor God, but we're going to take care of these two or three things and then we're going to honor God. Can I tell you what we never got to? Jen and I never honored God when we took care of a couple of things first and then chose to honor God. I can tell you what happened every time in our marriage when we decided together to honor God first. God helped us take care of two or three things and a couple things that weren't even on our list. Because that's just what we have personally experienced. Our church is not what you would call a prosperity gospel church. But there are churches out there that say, hey, give to God and everything in your life is going to be great. It's going to be the best life you can imagine and nothing bad will happen. Uh, we, we try to preach all of God's word and we just talked about a guy named Job a couple of weeks ago. And that, that wasn't what happened in Job's life. We're not, a, we're not a prosperity gospel church, but there is a verse in God's word that, and it's, it's true. There's a principle in God's word from Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. And, and it, it's an incredible principle that's in God's word. It says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. It's, it's in God's word. It's, it's a principle that's true. If we honor God with the first fruits of our lives, God says, here's what your supply closet's gonna be like in so many ways. Jen and I have experienced this in our lives and there's times that we've experienced the opposite of this and it's been because we've not been obedient with first fruits. Randy Alcorn is a respected uh, theologian of our day who writes about Jesus, who talked more about finance than any other thing. I mean, a lot of people left Jesus' sermons really upset. Like, I can't believe I came to church and every time I'm around Jesus, he talks about money. Like, that's what he talked about most of the time. Randy Alcorn says this about our faith. It is impossible to become fully devoted follower of Jesus without also becoming a fully developed steward of your resources. It's impossible to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ while you keep a lid on and say, there's some places I will not let you go, God. I want you here and here, but I'm not gonna let you come out of this place and go over here. Randy says it's impossible to be a fully devoted disciple without letting Jesus go all the places he needs to go in our lives. I knew this uh, series was coming up and there's a guy at our church that when I talked to this guy, um, three or four minutes into the conversation, every time, every time we talk, he starts to talk about the goodness of God in this area, just his own life. And I said, hey, Ed, would you come into my office this week and just real quick tell our church um, the story of what God did for you? Um, I believe in the power of testimony. And um, Ed goes here, uh, his wife uh, serves on our children's a ton. And uh, I know their kids are always running around here. They're awesome, a uh, real person. And uh, this is Ed and his story. Check it out. So my background, I own a business and we've worked really hard to be in faith with God and do things right, but we were stuck. Like I was seriously struggling and I didn't know what was going on and why things weren't clicking. And as God always does, his timing is perfect. And I wound up having a phone conversation with a friend of mine, Ken, up in New York. And we talked for like an hour about struggling and he got on this topic of tithing and it really impacted me. And some things that he said just completely transformed how I view tithing. My attitude towards tithing was completely wrong. Um, I was, I always looked at Malachi 3.10 and thinking about, you know, testing God. You know, he wants us to tithe and he wants us to test him because when we do that, he's going to open up the storehouses of heaven. I always knew that, 
But what I realized through that conversation that God, you know, put in, in my life was that I was tithing out of obligation. I wasn't tithing with the right attitude. Like, I wasn't excited to do it. Like, Jesus says he wanted me to be a cheerful giver, but I wasn't being a cheerful giver. I was just doing it out of obligation. So it was just going through the motions, like I had done in a lot of other areas with my life. So I prayed about this. I was like, God, help me with my attitude. Like, I want to be grateful. I want to be thankful for this. I mean, I am, but it's not coming through. So I realized I just had to make that shift. So that was my prayer. I said, God, just give me a fresh attitude and perspective towards tithing because I, I want the blessings of heaven um, that you have in store for me. So basically, I had that prayer, and then I talked to my wife, and we prayed about it. I talked with my kids about it. I said, guys, you know, dad's been tithing. I explained it to them, but my attitude was wrong, and I want to be a good example to them, and we made that shift. And, you know, we'd stop, and every time money would come into our business, we would stop, and we would, together, we'd pray over it and say, with the kids, thank you, God. We are so grateful for your blessings. We're so grateful for your provision. We trust you. We know that you could do more with the 90% or, you know, that my 90% that I could do with 100% myself. So I'm going to tithe and I'm grateful. And I'm going to ask that you bless this and you use this in our church to reach the people in our community so they know the love of Jesus. That was our prayer. And our kids got excited. So every time, you know, we'd get a new client or something like that, we'd start praying about it. And we'd start tithing in that from that manner. And we got excited to tithe. And that whole attitude shift just revolutioned our family. And my kids are like, can we do this? Like they, they got, they got in on it as well. Um, so we went from a position of, of tithing out of obligation to tithing with a cheerful heart. And my business exploded. Like literally we started, you know, adding new clients week over week. And literally we doubled our business in the next six months. Um, and I believe it was because God, you know, could trust me. Like he, he could trust that my heart was right. My attitude was right. And I was approaching this from the right perspective. So I'm grateful for that conversation because God's timing is perfect. And it, it was just a shift of attitude and perspective that transformed my life and our families. And that's basically how we tied today. I've been thinking this week, just sitting there in my office and, and, and hearing Ed tell that story. There's a picture in his story there. Um, little Brooklyn, she's about this tall. She's got the biggest brown eyes you've ever seen in the world. Sweetest little girl. I just picture his wife and Sarah and their, their kids and they're holding hands and little Brooklyn looking up and just watching her dad take the lid off. Just watching her dad do that. And the lesson that is for that little girl for the rest of her life. And, and the picture of those kids starting to get excited about giving to God. And this is the prayer that David had for Israel. And David gathered his kids around and he said, we gotta change our attitude about giving. And David's like, you got, kids, kids, you gotta do this. And I, I'm just, I've been picturing this family that I know and what that means to, to a wife and the kids and to be like, we're gonna do this together. E.V. Hill says that anything that God can get through you, he can get to you. Anything he can get through you, he can get to you. Some of us have been damming up some stuff in our lives and nothing, stuff gets to us and it don't go, it doesn't go anywhere from there. And we wonder why, like, why God's not getting anything to us because he can't get it through you. And we need some moments like this in our life. And we've probably put God in some place where we're like, I'm gonna handle my finances. I'm gonna, handle, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take care of it. And we just haven't because we've not done his plan. And he's, we got him shut up in a box. And it's, he's like, I want into every area of your life because I want you to have fulfillment. I want you to have joy. I want you to live extravagantly and with joy and peace. And we don't, we don't have it. We're in bondage. 
So Jesus, our prayer, we want to echo the prayer of David. We want to think back to that day, First Chronicles chapter 29, when all of Israel was gathered before the hill. And we want to have the attitude of David and his son that we will not offer anything to you that costs us nothing. Every good thing that you have, you've given. And I believe that you want to take us uh, as individuals and families and as a church through, through a journey. Because you talked about this all the time. And it is tethered, Jesus. You have tethered our ability to grow deeper, faster to, to finances. Because it's one of the things that we cling to. Because we want to control our future and our destiny. And we don't trust you with it. And I love what Ed said. That you can do better with 90% of our income than we can do with 100% of it. You can. And so, Father God, would we dive into uh, what your word has to say to us? Would we be willing to just honestly reflect on what kind of giver we've been? Have we been hesitant? Have we only been obedient? Have there been seasons of abundance and extravagance? And do we remember the joy of that cheerfulness? And would you return us to that place? Because this is where it starts. Would you help our attitudes start to change about finances and how you play into that. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.